I'm going to start this morning telling you guys about an Australian insurance salesman. Uh, his name is Don Ritchie, and I got a picture of him. Uh, and he died a few years back, um, and he lived near Sydney, uh, and near the harbor in Sydney. Uh, and I would, I would love to go to Sydney one day. Has anybody ever been to Australia? Um, our world travelers um, and so he and his wife uh, live next to some cliffs that are by the harbor and this particular set of cliffs I think it's a beautiful place and it's called the Gap not the store it's the, the set of cliffs and they lived right across from there and so they had a beautiful view when they looked out of their home the only problem was uh, like some other uh, high places that are, that are beautiful for views they also draw people um, that um, are, are wanting to end their lives uh, and so uh, unfortunately this place as beautiful as it was it has a rate of one suicide attempt per week which is just terrible so all of Australia this may be the, the main spot people go and the Ritchie family lived right across the street from the gap and so in the morning uh, Don would get up and he would walk over to his window and he would look out, and I'm sure he'd take in the view, but if he saw somebody walking by themselves or just looking by themselves and standing close to the edge, he would go ahead and make his way outside to see them. And many times, the story goes that there would be people that would be standing, looking down at the waters, pondering what they were going to do, and they would hear this gentle voice saying, Would you like to come and have a cup of tea with my wife and I? And they would look, and they would see an old man smiling at them, sort of reaching out his hand. And more times than not, they would join Don, and they would go, and they'd go back to his place, and they'd sit down at the table, and they'd have tea and toast, and they'd have a little conversation about what's going on. Now, there were 160 people that have said that this saved their lives from jumping over the course of several decades. Um, they never kept track of how many people they took into their home and then with this simple approach. And so they think it could have been three, four hundred people over decades that they welcomed into their home and uh, basically saved their lives. Um, when Don was younger, he would be more physical in his altercations. I mean, he would try to stop people from jumping. And there's a picture from uh, decades ago of a lady that is like trying to make her way to the cliff's edge. And at the same time, Don is the only person in between her and the edge of the cliff. He was once asked by reporters, so why, do you, why, why do you do this? What is your motivation for this? And he said, you can't just sit there and watch them. You've got to try and save them. It's pretty simple. Sounds like a pretty straightforward kind of guy. They received different awards through their life, and uh, there was uh, one time when he was speaking to a crowd, and he said this, to my fellow Australians, and I won't attempt an Australian accent, uh, never be afraid to speak to those who you feel are in need. Always remember the power of a simple smile, a helping hand, a listening ear, and a kind word. One lady that interviewed him, her name was uh, Karen Benson. She was a medical reporter for the Sydney Morning Herald. And she, after meeting with him and hearing his life story, she summed him up in this short sentence. He is the watchman of the gap. Now, 
the word watchman, or what, what uh, um, Terry read earlier from Ezekiel, uh, the word lookout, is not necessarily a position that you know a lot of people uh, that we hear about a whole lot anymore. You don't think about it. I mean, we're living in the age of satellites that can uh, track anything. We've got video cameras. And so the, the great need of the watchman is less than it once was. But still sometimes there's a need for a physical person being there to watch. Has anyone ever served in the role of a, a watchman or a lookout or a watchwoman? I actually had a job once as a, uh, as a watchman, a night watchman at a drug treatment uh, facility in Arkansas. And um, it was for teenage boys. And it was kind of out in the woods, and there were these cabins and stuff. And so they hired uh, young guys to be night watchmen and stay in the cabins with the, the patients overnight. And there, it was just like a room full of bunk beds, and there was an alarm on the door. And so I, I was literally had the opportunity to be paid to sleep, <laughs> which was really my dream job, John. Wow. Um, <laughs> So the first night, I'm so excited about this. I'm like, I'm going to get paid to sleep. And I go, and I, I get ready. I'm getting my sleeping bag ready. And um, there's a kid laying in a, in a mattress on the other side of the room. And he says, you know, during the night, we could all hang up on you and just beat you down. <laughs> and so that night, I lay there, and I did not sleep. I did not get paid for sleeping. I stared up at the ceiling, just wondering what was going to happen to me the whole night, which was much worse than I had anticipated. Um, so I don't necessarily enjoy, I didn't enjoy that job as watching, but I, I did it nonetheless. Um, in, in the scriptures, there, uh, there are different times when God calls his prophets, the people that he gives uh, the, the role to speak to the people, uh, his message. And he says, um, I want you to be my watchman. I want you to be my lookout. And specifically to this young prophet named Ezekiel. Now, I wish I had time to give, like, this sweeping overview of Ezekiel's life um, <laughs> and all the crazy things that happened. But as a young man, uh, Ezekiel lived in Judah when uh, the Israel had been divided between north and, and south. And the north was, the, was Israel and the south was Judah. And already in his time, the northern tribes had been taken over by the Assyrian Empire. And different prophets had come throughout the generations warning them, saying, turn back to God, turn back to God. In fact, when Ezekiel was young, he probably heard the, the prophet Jeremiah speaking in Jerusalem, warning people to turn from their ways. And so in 597 B.C., and I actually have the dates uh, pretty specific to when these things happened, um, Ezekiel was one of the young people that was in Jerusalem, that was, that was in Judah, when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon takes his army in and just takes over. And they take the king and they take the people that have important roles in society and they take them as captives back to Babylon in exile. And so they are disconnected from their home. They're disconnected from their families. They're even disconnected from the place that they're supposed to go and meet with God. And for Ezekiel, that's especially important because he was in the family of priests. His whole job, his whole role in life was to be a priest in the temple at Jerusalem and now he's been taken away from that he's disconnected from who he was, his identity, his role in life and so God says Ezekiel you are going to be my spokesperson and in particular you are going to be a watchman for my people 
And so I want to look back at the uh, verses that Terry read from Ezekiel. And I'm going to read from, we're going to look at uh, the, the NIV, which you've got uh, on your seats if you need a Bible. But you can also look on the screen. I'm going to read the first seven verses of chapter, uh, chapter 33. Um, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, When I bring the sword against the land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, uh, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and warn the people and the sword comes to take someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. The role of a watchman is pretty essential, uh, especially in that time. And even though these verses, especially when we read the Old Testament, there's lots of blood and sword and this kind of thing. But this is what these people had lived. This is what they had experienced. They were very familiar with exactly what he was talking about. And they knew that the role of watchman could mean life or death. Just a few minutes to give them a chance to escape or a chance to set up defenses to defend themselves. And if that watchman didn't fulfill his duty, then they were done for and so that's the role that, uh, that God gives to, uh, to Ezekiel. And it's pretty straightforward. It's like, you know, if they don't listen to you, it's their fault. It's like a kill. If they do listen to you, then, um, then or if, if, you, if you do tell them and then they still don't listen, then it's their fault. If you don't tell them and they get killed, it's your fault. Um, straightforward, even though I can't say it's straightforward. Um, <clears throat> but then he says, you are, you are my watchman, Ezekiel. You are the one uh, that has this responsibility, and it's a heavy responsibility. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11 again for you. When I say to the wicked, you wicked people, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. Those wicked people will die for their sins, but I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked to turn from their ways, and they do, they do not do so, they will die for their sins, so you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is what you are saying. Now pay attention, this is what they are saying. This is what those people that are with Ezekiel are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, House of Israel? You can see that the warning that, that God tells Ezekiel to give, it's a moral warning. It's one that's talking about the way that they're living their lives. It's not just sort of an approaching army coming. And... Um, this is a common theme throughout the prophets. And when you read, if you read Ezekiel, if you're like, well, what did they do? You know, that's so bad. Well, if you read Ezekiel, you read the other prophets, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's murder in the streets. There's injustice. There's, there's 
taking, not just not helping the poor and the widows and orphans, but like taking advantage of their, in their poverty. And there is just one, numerous things that God says, this is the, these are the things that you're doing, and I, and I hate them. I don't like them. But the people here are not denying what they've been doing. They're not saying, you know, whatever, Ezekiel, you don't know what you're talking about. These people that are with him, they're saying, hey, we know. We know that we have made some terrible choices. We're living it, Ezekiel. In fact, we feel, we feel weighed down by the choices that we've made. We feel like we're wasting away. Like our lives are like on the brink of a cliff. And it's just about over. And then that's when God says, I don't want you to experience that. I don't want you to experience this death. I want you to turn. I want you to live. The delight of his heart is that they would turn and come home to him, to come inside from the storm and find rest for their souls. That's what he's saying to them. That's where his heart is. And Ezekiel is the one that is expressing that. There are a lot of warning cries today, and it's not just about um, the hurricanes that have been coming and hitting our country. Um, there's a lot of shrill voices warning people from this and warning people from that and saying, if we do this, you're going to happen. This is going to happen. I also think back of the soapbox preacher days and the bullhorn days and the loud, you know, warnings from from the street corners and. One thing I wonder is, for those that are feeling the burden of their life, feeling the burden of their choices, feeling destitute, feeling that heaviness on their shoulders, does that loud, screaming voice, do you think it connects with them? Do you think those voices connect? I, I have my doubts that they feel like it, they, they're being connected to by those loud voices, because I think that what they really want is to have someone they feel like does care, that does want to connect with them. And I don't think that many people hear that. I think a lot of people are going through this life and they feel that weighed down feeling. And they can, they'll admit, like, I've made a bunch of bad choices. I've done a lot of things that are pretty stupid and I'm living in the consequences of that and it really stinks. I feel like I don't know what to do next. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. And uh, John and I were just mentioning that one of the values that we have as as a church, a storyline, a calling that we feel like we've received, has been a calling to people who feel disconnected. And that disconnection can be from God, that disconnection can be from community, just feeling alone, that disconnection can be from family, not feeling like we, that there's a home, I don't have a, a people to belong to, a place to belong to. I don't feel like I have a life that has any rest in it. And God has called us as a church to be on the lookout for those particular people. And I think there's a lot in common with the sentiment that the people in Ezekiel's time had with what a lot of people in our culture feel, even though it's completely different in many ways. But the sentiment of feeling lost, of feeling like they're wasting away, that's a common sentiment. No matter what people's Facebook profile pages say, no matter what people say when you ask how they're doing, 
no matter what uh, happens whenever you, you look at how far they are along in their careers, what their accomplishments are, many people feel broken and wasting away inside. And they'll admit it uh, to the person that's willing to listen. But they don't find that person. They find a lot of people that are going about their lives. And unless we think it, it, it's, we just find that condition out in our city, which I think is prevalent, I know that people in the church feel the same way. They say, I wish I could, I could let out what I'm going through to somebody, but I just can't. I don't know how to. I don't know. And I don't really feel like anybody really wants to go there with me. I'm not sure that people want to get past the, the face level, the facades, and we're doing just fine, you know, good to see you. And that's a tough spot, because I think people are longing for that connection. And it's hard to, to find that connection. Here's the good news. You say, who's the watchman? And I think, oh, we're supposed to be the watchman, or Ezekiel's the watchman. The great news is that the Lord himself, our Father, is the watchman, whose eyes are roaming through this world looking for those destitute and broken people. Whether it's in the church or outside the church, his heart aches for those people. Just like in this verse, his heart aches. He does not want people to be on that edge of the cliff and to be contemplating the step forward. He wants people to turn and come back to him because he loves them dearly. And the way that he communicates that love is he chooses people to reach out and to speak to them. And so the Father is the watchman, but he certainly invites us to have a heart like his and to look out for the disconnected among us. We don't have to look any further than the life of Jesus to see how God's heart is for those that are disconnected. And you could choose a number of stories. I just want us to remember the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, again, if you think about Zacchaeus' Facebook page, he could make it look pretty good. He was rich. He had it together. He probably had nice clothes. And he probably had a nice place. Um, he probably didn't put on his Facebook page how much people hated him because he had stolen money from them and his tax collecting. He probably had a few friends among the Romans that you know he could, he could uh, work his way into, into their favor with his money. But overall, I get the sense that Zacchaeus is not content, that he's, he's lost in his life despite you know, how he could make himself look good with his money. Because how many people that are completely content are willing, when they hear the spiritual uh, leaders walking into town, are willing to kind of make a fool themselves and climb up in their nice clothes and get stuffed up into a tree and hang from a tree limb, trying to look and just glimpse the spiritual leader that's coming through. I think that's the sign of a person that's got some desperation. And so I think Zacchaeus felt that. And Jesus, when he walks up to Zacchaeus, he doesn't just look up at him and say, Zacchaeus, you know what you've done? You've been a real jerk. <laughs> and instead, and I think Jesus has a smile on his face as he looks up at, at Zacchaeus hanging from the tree. And he's like, Zacchaeus, come on down from the tree. I want to come to your house and have lunch. And that might may seem kind of presumptuous of Jesus, like, oh, you invited yourself over, huh? But remember that who you associate with in that time and that culture reflected uh, who you were and, and what you approved of. And that's why people are always so mad about Jesus hanging out with sinners and, and tax collectors and prostitutes. Because they're like, if you're hanging out with them, that basically means you're one of them. Or that they are one of you. And that you approve of what they're doing. And they got this all mixed up. 
But for Zacchaeus to receive that from Jesus, for Jesus to want to come into his house, that's a moment of belonging. That's a moment of connection with Jesus. And so Jesus comes over and they start to hang out together. And you can see that turn start to happen in Zacchaeus' heart where he's been going down one path and now he's started. He's experienced something with Jesus. He's experienced a welcome. He's experienced a friendly voice calling down from him saying, hey, let's hang out for a little while. And his heart starts to turn. And I'm sure that they started to talk about, about life and about everything, about it, the ways of God in the midst of that lunch. And he says, you know, Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to sell half my stuff and give it to the poor. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And I think he was delighted because he saw that turn in Zacchaeus' heart. And he started to see him walk away from the cliff of his own path and say, he's starting to come home. And that just rejoiced his heart. And that's where the Father's heart is uh, for people that are disconnected and lost. And so, my question for us this morning is, are we ready to be watchmen for the disconnected? Are we ready to, to be filled up with the love of the Father, to have eyes to see people? Now, what I, I don't want you to imagine is that we then walk through our day with the Savior complex, and we're like, I'm, I'm going to pull that one off the cliff, and I'm going to pull that one off the cliff. That's not, that's not how it works, okay? Um, it's not something that, that we're doing that is profound and awesome and amazing. It's a lot more like what Don Ritchie did when he saw somebody that was hurting and alone and he came up and said, would you like to have a cup of tea? And they sat down and they talked for a while. And that's what someone needed. They needed a smile. They needed to be invited. They needed a place to belong. They needed someone that wanted to talk to them more than just saying, how's your day? Fine, you know. And that's something that we can do, that we can be part of. And we trust that the Spirit of God works in us through those moments to help bring connection to those people, to start to bring a turning in their life where um, we see that happening. Um, I think about a friend uh, named Aaron that was walking. We had we were having house church one night, and he was walking uh, to where we live. And he saw this guy in the park up on a rock, and he was doing slam poetry. And he was like, he was giving it to everybody walking by, like he was really good. So Aaron listens to him. And he says, uh, after he's done, he's like, that was really good. And he started to talk about all that he was hearing in his poetry. And the guy clearly appreciated somebody stopping just to hear what he had to say. And Aaron literally said, hey, you want to get some coffee? And so he did, and they stop, and they have coffee, and they have conversation. And then this guy ends up coming up to our, our apartment for house church. And we're all like, hey, how's it going? And we wrap him into the community. And he walked with us for like a year in that community. Uh, just because somebody took the time to listen and said, you know, what you're having to say is, is important to me. Hey, let's go get some coffee. Um, and I think that's beautiful. And I think that is something that God can do in us. And he's given us a calling to be watching. And so, um, what I want to do for the next few minutes is, um, what we like to do at Storyline is think about how, how is God speaking to us in this moment, and not just in uh, the scripture and what, what I've been saying, but also just in this whole time. What is God trying to get across to us right now? And, and what, what is he moving me to do? What is he moving us to do? 
And so I've got some questions um, that we'll pull up on the slide. And I just want you to find a couple of people uh, around you, and uh, you can discuss this. You can think about it together and just voice kind of what's coming to mind and what you're feeling. And if you don't want to share anything, that's completely fine. Just uh, just kind of uh, can sit and just take it in and process. But we love to be able to process what God's saying to us together. And so for the next few minutes, uh, let me say a prayer and then uh, find a few people and talk about this together. Okay. Lord, um, we don't just hear your call. We just see you in the way that you are at work. We particularly see you through the life of Jesus. And we see your heart for people all through the story. That you don't want people to die and to perish and be wasting away and lost, but that you want them to find life. And that you're willing to warn them, you're willing to invite them to something different. And Lord, we just want your heart to capture us today, so that we start to have more of a heart like yours. That we can, as we have found connection with you and with each other, that we can begin to offer that. And to others, that we can be on the lookout, we can be watched people. And so, Lord, we lift up this morning to you and ask that you continue to speak to us and enlighten our hearts and move us and change us and shape us. Help us to turn our hearts towards you today. In Jesus' name.